0: Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore.
1: I'm Fable, Beth Stedman.
0: I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson.
1: And this is a podcast for writers who love to read,
0: readers who love to write,
1: and anyone who loves words.
0: words. Huzzah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yay for myths! <laughs> <laughs> Woo-hoo! So today we're just, we're talking about myths and myth retellings and, um, yeah, just a, different ones we like, different approaches that we um, feel like we can learn from. And kind of the value of myth. I mean, I, th- I think myth's yeah. really important for human societies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we we need myths to shape our, our identities and ourselves and our, our culture. Ugh, I can't talk. <laughs> our cultures.
0: Yeah, that's definitely, I think that that's one of the big parts of myth, and and we can say that for our purposes, um, there's a lot of definitions for myth and folklore sure. and folktales, and so our basic, we're just going to take an, a wide look at it, but also knowing mm-hmm. that some of these things interact with each other. So basically, we're looking yeah. at it from folklore is kind of the giant umbrella under which everything from fables to fairy tales, folktales legends ballads any of those things myths fall under so Mm -hmm. all of that would be under kind of folklore and that would be basically any type of traditional stories from a community or culture so Mm -hmm. all of that is kind of cultural specific but that doesn't mean that there can't be cross-cultural stories so we're just looking at it from that big lens and then myth really would be underneath that as stories, basically, that have significance to a group of people, and they could be seen as fact when they're first talked about. They're not necessarily Mm. still have to be considered fact, but when they're first brought into the culture, usually they are. There Mm. there could be situations in which they're not, but we're just going to kind of take that broad view They have that significance and they also have staying power. So there's stories that didn't necessarily die out. They made change. And in fact, myth by the nature of what it is, was probably passed down orally first for most of what we're talking about um, before it was written down. And so there is no one true telling of a myth. It's very organic. It's that kind of changing story over time. Yeah, that's. Myths, by our definition, and obviously that could overlap some with folk tales, which tend yeah. to be a little bit um, more about human beings, but um, they also have that staying power. So we'll kind of look at folk tales as being connected, possibly part of the Venn diagram. But today right. we're going to kind of focus a little more on myths. And... Exactly. Yeah. Within that heading of myth, there's usually something about the creation of men like where we came from who started it all um mm-hmm. and also like what's going to happen in the end usually kind of that so our kind of beginning and our end um yeah. and who did that so kind of those deities those um gods usually small g um both sure it's for, those like external powers that are bigger or other than the human exactly. culture itself yeah and we're we're purposefully kind of disconnecting it from any religious traditions but that's basically kind of the ideas behind the creation and kind of destruction of, of man myths and then there would be kind of the nature how things work mm. within our society within our and within nature now um both sure. from a who we are as human beings kind of that system standpoint but also why are there seasons and sure why is there why does this or bloom at a certain time, um, right? How to and then explain we, the world around you? Exactly, exactly. And then uh, hero this, which is basically someone with usually superpowers or some form of knowledge or some form of strength that they take, and then they're able to basically teach the world about themselves, teach mm. humans about who they are, kind of from a society standpoint. Yeah. So that's the kind of general framework which is That's a really good breakdown. I, I yeah. like
1: that kind of um breakdown or thought of of myths kind of carrying both that creation and that ending and sort of explanation for the world around you. And I think like I think it made me think of too I mean we're obviously talking about myth retellings but I think when you're world building like there's a really good opportunity there to include that in your world building. Yes. Like um I mean well I mean we talked to Stephanie recently. Yeah. And she, her book, I thought, had uh, had kind of those creation myths and those kind of explanations yes. of, of the the world around the characters, these flowers, these things like that. And I think that was really something that really shined in her work was that myth-telling and myth-telling
0: as part of world-building. And stories, that myth being lost to time. Yeah. And being ignored and there being a cost to that that lost knowledge yes. and then being able to have that have some weight in terms of what happens within the story um, as that knowledge is rediscovered.
1: And I think that's really a good like piece to when you're creating myths for a made-up world or for your story like remembering that myths shift and change and they're not always told exactly the same
0: way <laughs> and like yeah. those are really good things to keep in mind. Uh, and connected with that, um, there's this part in, and actually, um, the Lord of the Rings, where mm. basically the the hands of the king are the are the healer's hands. Um, mm. There's there's kind of this weird, slightly prophecy, slightly old wives thing that's basically passed down. And then there's also yeah. these flowers that people have forgotten their healing properties. And there's a line from it that I really loved that said, pay heed to the tales of old wives. It may Mm. well be that they alone keep in memory what it was once needful for the wise to know. Mm. I loved that because I think that that's one very truthful, just as human beings, that we have knowledge from generations that it's important to not lose, but also in a very real way that it's like, we start to forget um, mm-hmm. the benefit that certain things can can be, mm-hmm. and I like that it kind of brings that back around.
1: I think that's one. Like when I think about myths, I think of stories that are are not necessarily factually true, but that are kind of truer than true. You know, like yes. they are communicating truths that are deeper and broader than just the things that are told in the
0: story. And I think it's both from a human from a human standpoint of truth um that is just seen in the world mm-hmm. as well as capturing some beliefs about a given group of people almost that that mindset of how they view the world I, in looking and really researching for this i listened to a lot of different myths um mm-hmm. there was a some great youtube videos that i'll link in in the notes great. just that covered all over the world, um, cultures that may no longer be there, but their myths remain. Um, yeah. uh, Sumer Sumer was um, one of the first, you know, written down myths that um, yeah. in our history that were discovered. Um, and it was interesting how when we were looking, when I was looking at kind of some different cultures, myths were used and changed in order to help support what that culture valued like for instance the mm. romans took a lot of greek myths and they kind of tweaked some of them made some of them in their own images kept sure. things but also kind of added things to help um even from an emperor standpoint to kind of sure. help stir that position of power and it's interesting how ms both kind of reflect that culture, but also they can be used to kind of bolster changes mm. in culture. Yeah. She um, found very interesting whether myths are more on the violent side, whether they're patriarchal, matriarchal, it all mm-hmm. says something about the people yeah. who passed down those myths, who created them and then passed them down and how they changed over time. Do you think that's still a occurs.
1: Like we, we continue to retell myths and yes. you know, there's new books published all the time with myth retellings. And I, I kind of tend to think of them as just stories, but they are uh, retellings of myths that say something about our, our humanity and our culture and our, our worldview. Yes. Um, and so do those retellings continue to shape how we I, view
0: the world around us? I think they do. And I mm. would argue um someone yeah, made a, a really good, kind of I'll link it into the notes a really good thesis on why Disney stories are actually some modern miz oh, um interesting. yeah which I thought was fascinating but having to unpack some of the messaging that I experienced yeah. growing up I I think what they're saying is very true because well those things the, do like sink into your psyche you know like yeah. when you're young and you're yeah Well, and they help shape how you see yourself, how you see yourself in your society. We can also say that past myths, like in Moana, um, past myths are basically used to tell a new story. So, Mm. for instance, you have Maui, um, Mm -hmm. a trickster god, not just in Hawaiian mythology, but also in really mythology throughout um, Oceania. And they all are different stories, but basically they pulled together those myths to tell a new myth about a woman who a girl who is about Mm -hmm. to kind of step into a position of authority as chief and what she goes through what she values the choices that she makes to basically do an act of disobedience but in order to save her people Mm. I would argue that as that story gets told and retold, and as kids watch it over and over again, that teaches them something about what it means to be in in a position of power, to, to yeah. be in a place where you can help others. And, and I think that is the power of story is that it can change you know, yeah, how we see absolutely. ourselves, what we think is possible. So I, I would definitely argue that Again, if it falls into that place of being a story that has some form of cultural significance, Mm. and if that has staying power over time, we Mm. could argue, and this was one that I know we don't want to jump too far into because we'd like to look at it a little more deeply later, Mm -hmm. argue that Star Wars is also a modern myth. Yeah, definitely. That there's entire generations of people who care yeah. very deeply about this story, who have theories about what the story means, yeah. and take things to heart with this story.
1: I, that raises I, a good point, yeah. though, that perhaps myth needs to have that cultural permi- permeance. Does that make sense? Like, yes. like I don't know that every myth retelling that gets published today has that kind of power, and yes. some things, as yeah. you pointed out, that are not strictly myth retellings, like Star Wars or Disney movies, probably do have the power of a myth um, and could even be called a myth, whereas an actual myth retelling might not. Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> yes, it it does. I think some of them, like Star Wars, do, though, follow um, Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces. At least the original trilogy really does kind of follow those kind of steps yeah. um, so in some ways following even those those general markers kind of mm-hmm. make it a myth even though it's also science fiction it's, it's mm-hmm. a Venn diagram of eh, it might be part myth in how it's written sure from a story standpoint sure and I'd argue that everything that has some tie to myth Really, almost all stories you could tie to something from sure. an inspiration standpoint. Even though we could argue whether or not Harry Potter is a hero myth kind of um, uh-huh. folk tale, if we want to say, we could definitely see that giant spiders having magic things that. Um, There's definitely a lot of influences lot of, of those things. Yeah, exactly, and things that have a lot of historical and cultural significance to the wizards there's a lot of kind of mythological elements to it whether or not it falls into myth a lot of stories piggyback on symbolism piggyback on story elements um may actually use characters from it till we have faces um Mm -hmm. is is that retelling of psyche and cupid it takes something that is from Greek mythology, but it gives it a different setting. Yeah. it's a different story in that the characters' names are changed. Mm-hmm. How it's written is different. There's a lot of markers that are changed, but really underneath that structure, like the bones of it is yeah, really that, so same. that myth. Actually, the musical, and we've talked about it before, Hades town, yeah, by a nice uh, Mitchell. That one is a retelling of Eurydice and Orpheus Mm -hmm. and also Hades and Persephone. It takes it from its context, breaks it free of the Greek setting, puts it into post Great Depression America Mm -hmm. in a place that doesn't exist and basically just has the story unfold with those same beats but in a very different kind of context yeah do you have a preference
1: like when you're enjoying a
0: myth retelling whether it's in a book
1: or another form like do you prefer when they keep the beats but change the setting in the world or and the characters maybe some or do you prefer when they mix up the beats or kind of change some of the structure but keep some of the um maybe keep the characters or keep does that make sense like I feel like like authors tend to kind of do one or the other they either tend to kind of keep most of the plot but change the setting and the other things maybe with a few little tweaks of their own or they kind of change some of the plot but they keep some of the characters or the like does that make sense or some of maybe the bigger beats
0: I would say that I actually like both when it's done well um when when they keep the beats and they don't actually create a unique story, if it doesn't say something new about the, the myth, I would ask why it's there unless it's the understanding that possibly the myth has been forgotten and it's re mm. it back to kind uh-huh. of the um, the conscious yeah. of, of our society. So I, I would say it's funny because I've written down so many things that fall into either one of those oh brother where art thou Mm -hmm. is a great story and movie oh brother where art thou is one of those great movies that take the story of the odyssey right and unless you really know the story you might not even realize it's doing it um right that it's covering the beats of that it's a great story without any knowledge but when you add in kind of that texturing of mythology to it it kind of adds another layer that makes it really fun and interesting Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. terms of what does a retelling need to be um how different can it look yeah as i was reading up on some newer retellings that are out there that i haven't had a chance to read yet but i was kind of looking to um ones that are there like Circe um C, uh, by Madeline Miller is, is one right. that just recently dropped. And I'm, I'm very excited to read that one. She also wrote the song of Achilles, which um, mm-hmm. I've heard fantastic things about. Yeah. I've and heard great things about both that haven't picked them up yet. It's interesting. It is kind of this new, it, it seems like we do experience trends in publication mm-hmm. be, because there's also Absolutely. one by Margaret Atwood, um, who, who wrote The Handmaiden's Tale, right. I and mean, she wrote one called The Penelopead, which mm-hmm. is basically the story of Penelope, um, the wife of Odysseus mm-hmm. during Odysseus's mm-hmm. journey. And I think by using different lenses on a story, we can always glean something new. And as we're actually talking about The Odyssey, which I'm, I'm sure many people have read The Odyssey by Homer, The Iliad by Homer. What we don't realize, though, is the version of the Odyssey that that we read for school might be different from what someone else has read. It's been translated many, many times. If you actually Mm. look it up, you can see all of the translations. And for the first time, fairly recently, it was translated by a woman. Interesting. It's interesting from the aspect of what assumptions are brought to those translations based on different contexts, different time frames, different mindsets as they translate it. That's exactly how Ms. kind of got to the the kind of very fluid way that they are Mm. is many different retellers. We all think that we know a story, but then it's like there is no absolute of this story yeah so taking different lenses to it is actually i think part of how we've grappled with it in the past so why wouldn't we continue to do that into the future yeah yeah and and it was funny because there was actually one version of a retelling that i saw where i don't always read what goodreads has to say um Sure, <laughs> you know what if from a comment perspective but someone was like there was this it's I think it's the mere wife I want to say yeah the mere wife and it's a recontextualization of um Beowulf okay and Interesting. which again is kind of part myth part folktale um and okay. what someone said was well you can't just name a couple of characters and call it you know Call it good as a retelling. And I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> retelling, really, by the nature of what they are, you can do whatever you would like with them. You can okay. recontextualize a character into a completely different setting. Mm-hmm. You can take little symbols. Um, there's a sure. French movie, um, Beauty and the Beast, it's La Belle et la Bête um, from 2014, and they took kind of the Greek symbol of the golden hind, um, which is basically this um, kind of this catchable deer. And usually within the golden hind story, there's some tragic end where the the deer is also a a woman. And usually there's some aspect of the hero chasing after the the deer from a hunt perspective and hurting himself by hurting the deer. And also hurting the woman he loves. And there's that element in this movie, which it's a fairy tale. It's a kind of French, a little more at least set in the right setting, in the right language. But Mm -hmm. they mixed in some Greek mythology um, into it to give it a richer context, Mm -hmm. which I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that the... The movie is fantastic, but it does give more meat to the bones of the story. I I I thought that's so interesting. This is kind of,
1: I mean, semi-off topic. It falls a little more in the category of like folktale, fairy tale stuff. But have you heard of the Arnie Thompson type thing?
0: Uh, No. It's
1: it's like a type class index for folktales and folklore, which I had never seen before. But they like number classify different elements from folktales so that you can look up like this type (laughs) number and then see all the different versions of the same story and it's fascinating to me because you kind of get that image of exactly what you're talking about with how you can change so much within a story and still have it carry some of the same elements or still have it be connected to this older myth or this older thing you know I started a new fairy tale retelling that I'm writing and so I was looking through all the like different versions of that story and it was crazy how varied things are. Like it's just so so different, but they still all fall under the same general classification and they still have some of these same elements. I don't know, it's fascinating to me that those kinds of things, like the ways that we can be creative with the same story essentially, that those things can be shaped by our own our own worldview and the worldview of our culture to become kind of almost entirely different things.
0: I love that because actually that goes into something that I found fascinating while while looking at Rick Riordan and Percy Jackson, because someone actually was talking to him about Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief and of a comparison to Harry Potter, Mm. and they were saying, you know, well, it sounds like you were really inspired by you know Harry Potter because you had like the three-headed dog and, you know, you had like this element of of going through a barrier and he very kindly, (laughs) and I love his answer. I was just going to say, did that interviewer like never read anything? Right. (laughs) And what he very kindly said, um, and he has an actual response on his website to it, which I will link into the notes as well, Mm. that both of us were actually inspired by Myths and by yeah. I mean Greek mythology with the Cerberus, the three-headed dog, right. and you know where the kind of passing into the barrier where the gods are, you know that yeah. that change of elevation almost in a location, and mm-hmm. he was explaining that that really these are touchstones from mythology, even though from a surface they might appear to be. <laughs> imitations of each other. They're actually, they're actually much is, older. Yeah. Which one of my favorite classes in college was a a look at a translation of Beowulf and how Beowulf has a tie into the Lord of the Rings. You look at the mm. mead halls, the writers of Rohan, those kind of setup of their customs, that was all very very much um inspired kind of from that classic available telling but then also we looked at how they had us read both of those and then link that into the context of harry potter and seeing some Mm -hmm. of those kind of inspirations as well and it's not that she's stealing it's not that tolkien was stealing we're we're all writing from the human experience which is by the nature of who we are if we like story we are inspired and we experience things from these stories so of course they're going to kind of filter into the stories that we write I think good
1: good artists are like you have to steal you know (laughs) you should steal and yet a really good artist knows how to steal and still make it their own you know like I, I think that sometimes that kind of borrowing or stealing or whatever gets a little bit of a bad rap when it shouldn't
0: well, I I think there are situations in which it's it is a wholesale stealing of an idea. Sure, and that that's problematic. But yes, I think making sure that your lens, your kernel of an idea, is based on something truthful, yeah. resonant, and from you, then I think everything else is fair game. And I agree. I, I would say. I, Again, that kind of helps with the reading widely, reading diversely, reading different mm-hmm. voices, because the well from which you're drawing
1: is yeah. going to be a lot
0: fuller, a lot broader, a, yeah. l- a lot more interesting and rich. I even just as I was looking at all the different ones I've read, um, one that we haven't talked about yet is American Gods by <laughs> Neil yeah, Gaiman. Yeah, that's the <laughs> correct it's one of those where he imported a lot from a lot of different places. Yeah, but there's I don't, so much influence. Yeah. But he takes it and puts it in a story that's completely his own. Absolutely. Um, we might want to say that it is a harsh story. There's, yeah. There is certain things that are very, um, just uh, very much in honoring of some of the more violent and... Yeah. Um, sexualized um, traditions of mythology and he borrows from all over the globe but he also brings an interesting view to it in that he takes okay what would America's gods then be now like what would our kind of stories that we tell ourselves be and what do we worship Mm -hmm. and I've always it's not my favorite of Of Neil's works but I've always been I think back on the like basically you know little g of technology um of media of basically markets and kind of investment and and really money Mm -hmm. it's interesting how the, the lens in which he views okay as a country and being a younger country from a cultural standpoint what it That we worship, that we kind of revere and hold up, even if we haven't written those myths. What are the myths that we hold in our heart and tell our children and pass down over time? And that, even though he borrowed so heavily from so many different cultures, he brought his own viewpoint to it, which I really appreciated and I think someone else could take that idea and bring their own viewpoint to it to to change that around, to maybe reconsider what the American gods would be, mm-hmm. um, even recontextualize it to someplace else um that maybe don't have their own myths or that have myths that have since been kind of rejected as a culture and write new ones.. Mm-hmm. There's infinitesimal ways in which that could be taken, expanded, changed, brought into something that is new, that has a new feel to it, yeah. that maybe looks at stories that we held up and revered and says, well, but look at it from this perspective. I think from looking at what the Odyssey, um, the retelling by margaret atwood what mm-hmm. it has to say i'm intrigued to see what she has to bring to that story from yeah that wife perspective often we just see her as very one-dimensional we yeah. not that it was bad i mean i think she she is shown, shown as very strong but we don't get to see those that depth and i think that does a disservice to the character so it will be interesting to see what she does from that kind of yeah i'm definitely curious about that one Uh, there's a lot of new ones as well um actually one by um sylvia moreno garcia who just wrote and just released the mexican gothic which i Uh read yeah hers is called gods of jade and shadow and Mm interesting because it takes Mayan myth and brings it into the jazz age which huh. when i heard that i'm like wow like, that i just... love when when authors come up with like creative mashups like that, right? that it's a type of mashup that i'm very intrigued by
1: i feel like neil gaiman in his um, masterclass i feel like talked about like taking things that you know or you're familiar with so an old myth a story that you know a fairy tale an maybe an era that you really like like the jazz Age or something and then twisting it like taking yeah. a different spin on it turning it a little you know 90 degree angle or whatever and giving it your own kind of take and I think he does that really well in his work and um, yes I really like seeing that in other people's works too
0: I do too and bringing that thing that is significant to you I think when something is significant to someone, it reads significantly, in in my opinion. I'm not saying that I connect with everything I read where someone felt really strongly about what they're writing, but it's more likely to connect when it was written from a place of significance because the care is there, that attention to the details. And I, I do think that when you pay attention to the details the ins and outs things that kind of take it from a different lens or mix it in a way that may have not been explored further you get that resonance and and interest yeah definitely
1: well yay for myths yeah (laughs) keep telling them keep retelling them keep taking your own spin on them Um, and keep reading them because there's I feel like there's always new things we can learn from different versions of the same story
0: there are and in addition to that there's a lot more things that are coming out that cover myth from a broader perspective than just Greek or just you know Roman there's a lot of things out there that are new that are taking on different perspectives Mm. Um, I know we talked about Rick Riordan, and I just wanted to mention that his label, um, Rick Riordan Presents, is actually bringing out a bunch of myths from cultures we probably don't hear about as much from Mm -hmm. a fiction standpoint, from a story standpoint. They have ones that are Mayan, Indian and Hindu, African and also African American legends, Navajo, Mm -hmm and mm-hmm. Korean, and there's new ones that are going to be coming out even in the next few years about covering um, Mexican myths. And um, I think there's a Cuban myth as well. And yeah. what I love about that is they're actually, as we've talked about before, finding people whose story it is to tell these stories. And they're doing it for kids so that these kids can get interested in these myths that yeah. maybe are there from their culture? Maybe not. Um, But expanding those horizons, which I think is always a good thing. That's great. I mean, you know, my son loves those books. Yes. I think there's something just like Harry Potter was amazing in getting kids to read. There's something Mm -hmm. I've always loved myth. And there's something great about especially as reading um, is kind of having some reemergences in places, especially for as kids are getting a little bit more interested as middle grade is expanding to have that excitement about story about kind of understanding beyond just the tales from you know the big myth books that we were assigned in english literature and some of them are troubling narratives that you're like what does that show i think re really looking at them and showing them to, to kids as kids are grappling with themselves. It's, it's a great thing to see them out there for my kids. And I've actually enjoyed reading them too. So yeah, it's kind of that it's, it is great on many levels. <laughs> All right. So, well, if you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll subscribe
1: and follow along with us. You can support us on Patreon and um, follow us on Instagram too. We hope that you keep reading and keep writing and keep putting your voice out there.